This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burke. Welcome into another edition of the MVFC First and Gold Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Burke, and today's guest is Dan Verdon, book author and also co-founder of the Prairie State Pigskin blog. And uh, Dan has two books of particular interest to our Missouri Valley fan base, ISU Football and the newly released Southern Illinois Salukis football book. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I, I do need to thank you because uh, we are taping this on a Sunday. Uh, and, and some of our listeners will know I uh, had to evacuate my home in Florida, Southwest Florida, early this week because of Hurricane Irma. So uh, you are a very welcome distraction this Sunday as uh, the hurricane is, is bearing down on where our house is and obviously just waiting to, to see how everything plays out. Well, you and your husband are certainly in our thoughts and prayers, and I, I hope everything works out. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're, we are hoping for the best. Well, Dan, uh, let's start. You know, I like to give I like to give our listeners a little bit of context just about your background. Um, so let's talk about, you know, you are a, a sports historian. Uh, you're a journalist and you're also a middle school teacher. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh Kind of a, a varied background there, but I, I just started my 30th year of uh, teaching middle school. A lot of people uh, think I'm crazy, but I really, really do enjoy that age. Yeah. What uh, what what specific grades are you teaching and what subjects? Uh, currently, I teach eighth grade. I teach three sections of U.S. history and one of uh, English language arts. Okay. So your newly released book, Southern Illinois Salukis, uh, it's a football book. Uh, it's the fourth book you've written about one of uh, the FCS football teams in Illinois, and you've, you've, you've written about each one. It's really well done. Uh, it not only breaks down things by eras and decades, um, but you feature prominent players, coaches, uh, prominent teams. And, and the thing I enjoy most about it is the storytelling aspect. Um, you, you have interesting nuggets about you know individual players, individual teams. And so what was your intention when you decided to write it? Well, you know, no disrespect to the University of Illinois or Northwestern University, um, but those stories have been told, you know, many times over. And when I initially started out on all this, I just took a look around the state and I said, there's so many great stories that maybe regional pockets of the state know, but I think we wanted to get those stories out, you know, for, for anybody who was interested, um, you know, whether it was Southern Illinois, Illinois State or whomever. As far as the process goes, let's delve into that. You know, when you decide, okay, I want to write this book on on SIU football, what are the initial steps you're taking? You know, what's the research process looking like? Um, the interview process, because I mean, you have a lot of information in the books. You you clearly talk to a lot of a lot of different people. Um, you know, so kind of take us through the the process from start to finish. 
Uh, well, first of all, I had a lot of help. Um, you know, Southern Illinois University Sports Information Department helped me a lot. Um, Roger and Sharon Leib, for people who may not know, Roger's the team chaplain. Uh, Sharon was a longtime secretary in the football office. They were a tremendous help to me. Um, and the very first person that I interviewed, um, gosh, going back to like, I think it was the summer of 2009 or 10, was Jim Hart, who, okay. of course, is an SIU legend. Um, once, you know, you talk to somebody like that, you kind of tell the next person, hey, I talked to Jim Hart the other day and oh gosh, you know, that opened some doors for you. And certainly having Jerry Kill agree to write my forward was, was huge. Absolutely. You know, how long did it take you from start to finish? You know, when did you actually start this project? And then obviously the book is, is coming out here this month. It's, it's just been released. Well, as I mentioned, I, you know, first talked to, to Jim Hart, you know, gosh, you know, getting close to a decade ago. And then just whenever I could get someone, I would, you know, add that person and continue. So I was kind of working on all the books, you know, over the course of time. Um, and then whoever I was able to get. And then finally, when I felt like, hey, we've got somewhat of a finished product here, then I moved forward with Southern Illinois University Press to, to get it published. Yeah. And for you, why was the the storytelling aspect of it so important because you have really interesting sides, you know, stuff that I didn't know, you know, I feel like I know a lot about um, specifically the SIU Salukis because I, I worked as a local TV sports anchor there for seven years and, and covered the team nearly on a daily basis. But I mean, I even learned things, um, you know, and I'll, I'll use uh, Walt Frazier as an example. You talked about when he was there, obviously, as a basketball player, he apparently was a really good football player, too. Uh, I believe he was ambidextrous. You had a little nugget about that. Um, you went into about Gail Sayers being there as an AD. Um, so how did you, you know, I guess, why was it so important for you to, to use those little kind of side stories to tell the narrative? Well, I, I look at a couple of things. First of all, when people refer to this in my book, I don't really see it that way. I see it more as, you know, these these players, these administrators, these coaches who built this program. And I'm just kind of the conduit between them and the reader. I'm, I'm telling their stories. Um, the other aspect is, you know, I enjoy reading history. I enjoy reading things about sports. And I just kind of thought to myself, the books that I've really enjoyed, what's made them unique and interesting? And it, it's that storytelling aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're writing the book on SIU, what was the what was the thing or things that surprised you most to learn? You know, I thought uh, one of the surprises to me is they got a bit of a later start as compared to some of the other schools. I mean, they were in the late uh, 1890s. They were kind of a loosely formed club team, I guess, for better better word that. You know, there was a lot of concern over at the time, like, you know, with safety, which, gosh, here we are all these years later, and what's what's a huge concern, safety. But it wasn't until the faculty and the administration at, at Southern Illinois actually approved the football team that the first official team wasn't until 1913. So that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah. Who do you feel like, you know, there's obviously a, a number of people that were extremely influential you know, in the history of, of SIU football in particular, but who, who do you feel like were some of the most uh, the most influential in terms of whether it be a, a player, a coach? You know, there's obviously the 1983 national championship team. 
Well, I think it kind of all starts with William McAndrew, who the old stadium was was named after. I mean, he was such a fixture, not just with SIU football, but SIU athletics. Um, the entire athletic department as director, PE teacher. I mean, in those days, they kind of did it all. I believe he coached football, basketball, baseball. Um, and then he had an untimely death in the 1940s. The stadium was renamed in his honor. So I think it, it all starts with him. But certainly things you mentioned, that 1983 team, um, I was in college at the time. And, you know, that was that really was a huge event, not just in the Southern Illinois region, but I think throughout the state because, mm-hmm. you know, people forget there weren't any uh, 1985 Chicago Bears at that point. There weren't wasn't the Bulls dynasty, the Blackhawks and on and on. So that was a big deal. Yeah. You know, the other thing I thought was really interesting about the book is you have, after kind of each player, you have a little uh, four down section uh, where you include things like their their worst summer job, uh, their favorite class that they took, whether it was in, in high school or college. You know, there's four different areas that, that you get into. Um, and so how did you how did you choose to do those four specific things? You know, I can't really remember exactly how I settled on those four things, but I, being a teacher, I work with a lot of women, and I, I kind of bounce ideas off them, and I say, you know, what would interest you? And a lot of them kept coming back to, you know, the football stuff's okay, but we're really after what's this person like as a human being, and what was it like when he was growing up? And so somehow, some way, I just kind of came up with those four questions, I think, early on. And I'm like, well, I want to be consistent. So I continued to throw all those out. A year ago, you wrote a similar book about Illinois State football, you know, that I had previously mentioned. And, and that came out then. Do you tend to use the same blueprint book to book as far as your approach? And, and then if so, what are the biggest differences between the, the two programs, Illinois State and SIU, from a historical context, would you say? You know, I do tend to have a a basic template because not that necessarily one person is going to pick up, you know, all four of my books and look at them. But in the event they did, I did want there to be some sort of a consistency or kind of a template, I guess. Uh, I guess the, the biggest difference is that Illinois State has really enjoyed kind of their golden era. Right now, we're in the midst of it. I mean, Brock's back has taken them to the playoffs uh, three years in a row, and I think he's got a strong possibility of going back for a fourth time. You know, he played for the national championship a few seasons ago. Um, before that, the ISU program was kind of a sleeping giant, and Spack himself actually said that as he not only took the job, but he told people privately that, you know, if he ever got that job, he felt like this really has the potential to do something. So I think that's one of the biggest differences. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, besides Coach Spack, you know, there's been a legacy of coaches at Illinois State. Um, you know, you wrote about Edwin Strzok, who was there um, from kind of the mid-1940s until the, the mid-1960s. There was obviously Todd Barry in the late 90s. Um, but what do you feel like specifically Coach Spack has meant to the Redbirds? You know, and how, how and why do you feel like he's taken – the ISU football program to new heights since he's taken over, you know, back in 2009? Well, something that's been mentioned to me along the way um, by many people is a lot depends on who your administration is at the time, what support you have. I know um, I've talked with Mike Reese, another guy who helped me with the Southern Illinois book, um, who's been around that program for quite a while. You know, he mentioned that to me. But I think getting back to ISU, I think one thing Coach Spack really is going for him is he's an Illinois resident. He grew up in Rockford. Um, 
he went on to you know play and coach at Purdue. But I think he has ties to the state. I think he's really amped up the recruiting um, in the Chicagoland area. I mean, he has great ties through his assistant coaches uh, to the Chicago Catholic League. Um, obviously, they've pulled from other areas. They've gotten a lot of really good players out of the Indianapolis area. Um, I think he also arguably has you know some of the finest facilities of the schools we're talking about. And then I think one more thing is, I think he's got the foresight to maybe there's a recruit that ISU might not get initially, but he's going to at least contact that guy, go after him. Maybe a year or two down the line, if he's not happy, if it is at his FBS school, he might want to transfer. Yeah, he's kind of already got his foot in the door. And that case, uh, and that is uh, Trey Roberson, who is the quarterback when they went to the national championship. Yeah, you know, you also spent some time. You went to uh, SIU football media day this year. And so what what are your impressions so far um, of Coach Nick Hill? You know, he he appears in your book not only as a player, but obviously now as a coach. And, you know, he's a huge part of that Southern Illinois area, just having grown up in nearby DuCoin. You just hit on it. I mean, he's not just, you know, somebody for SIU. I mean, the entire region knows who Nick Hill is. He's kind of their favorite son, uh, so to speak. And his enthusiasm. I, I know, you know, Nick very well. Yeah. I mean, he's very enthusiastic. Um, he's young enough to where he can really relate to these players. Uh, he has contacts. He's got, you know, some pro football experience. Um, he is smart enough to know to bring in assistant coaches for maybe areas that he doesn't know as much about. And he's trying to build not just a football program, but he's got them going out doing community service and so forth. And that, that goes a long way. Yeah. My conversation with Dan continues shortly, but if you're enjoying this edition of the MVFC First and Gold podcast, check out all the Lineup Media Group offerings featuring your favorite sports and non-sports podcasts too. Now back to the show. You know, the history, you know, being a, a guy that's uh, a sports historian and then obviously, you know, teaching history, um, you get into it in both the, the ISU football book and the SIU football book. Um, and I found it particularly interesting, specifically the parts dealing with, you know, race relations, um, you know, the breadth, the breadth of the duties that coaches back in the day took on, not just specifically as a football coach, but maybe as a PE teacher, uh, an AD, uh, excuse me, an AD. Um, and then also just the number of players playing professionally back then. So what were you... What do you feel like were some themes that developed um, for both the Redbirds and Saluki football programs back then? Well, you know, you obviously I think you had more players from that particular uh, area and certainly the state of Illinois. You know, recruiting obviously is, is more national or Midwest based, however you want to look at it today. And. But ISU was one of the, I'm sorry, excuse me, Southern was one of the first schools to really reach into that deep south. I mean, the uh, Doc Boydson, who was a longtime AD, would, would drive down into some of these southern states where African-American players, you know, couldn't play for the University of Mississippi or, you know, Alabama or whomever. And he would grab a lot of these players and get them back to Carbondale. And that obviously led to much of the success. Uh, one of the funnest features that I got to do was there's an old conference, the Illinois Intercollegiate Athletic Association, which at one time was during the war years was basically just the, the four or five state schools. 
Um, and I got to talk to some guys who coached and played back then. Uh, a few of them are no longer with us, but they had just some interesting, interesting stories. Uh, Red Miller, for example, who many people might know, took the Denver Broncos to the Super Bowl in the late 70s. He was a Macomb, Illinois native and, and played and coached at Western Illinois. And he just had some fabulous stories. Yeah. You know, how did you first get interested in football, you know, and in, in sports media? You know, it's kind of funny. The town I grew up in is, is such a small town that we did not have high school football. Okay. Um, but I had a couple of cousins who lived in the in the town, you know, eight miles to the north. So, you know, as a as a kid growing up, I would go to their games. Uh, one of my cousins actually played in Indiana State. Um, he's a couple years older than me. But just from that, and then believe it or not, just turn on the TV on a Saturday afternoon and, you know, people who grew up in the, the – pre-ESPN days will remember this. I mean, there weren't too many games on in those days, but for whatever reason, I was just really attracted to that. Um, and then certainly when I went away to college, you know, I was there every weekend, either, you know, as a, a fan in the stands or later on, I, I worked for the student newspaper at Eastern Illinois and, okay. and covered the team. In fact, the year I covered the team, um, they won the Gateway Conference, which was the predecessor of the Missouri Valley People might recognize the name of the quarterback, a guy named Sean Payton. Yeah, hopefully they hopefully they recognize that name. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of leads us into my next question. You know, you founded uh, with your friend and, and college classmate um, Barry Bettino a blog for Chicago Now called Prairie State Pigskin. Um, which focuses specifically on the four FCS football programs in Illinois. So when did you when did you guys decide to start the blog, and why did you decide to start the blog? Well, it, it started out because us being fans of those schools, we're really disappointed in the uh, traditional coverage that, that the Chicagoland media was giving those schools. And, and we get, you know, it's – financially strapped times for a lot of these newspapers and so forth. But, you know, when an Illinois state goes to the, the playoffs and all you see is a one sentence little blurb on it and that's it. I mean, that, that really bothered us. Plus, you know, we're, we're graduates of a university in this system. So we are sitting around actually the summer of 2019, just kind of talking about it. And Barry brought up the idea. What do you think about us starting a blog? And we actually just spent the rest of that afternoon kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. And, and then we reached out to each of the schools and obviously they were interested and kind of went from there. Yeah. How do, so what does the schedule look like? Because you guys go to games uh, typically every Saturday. Um, so how do you decide, you know, which school you're going to focus on, you know, what story you're going to do, and, and also what constitutes an interesting enough story? Because a lot of the stuff you're doing, you know, besides doing kind of game recaps from games you've been to, you do a lot of great uh, feature style writing. Yeah, I think our features are kind of our bread and butter because, you know, we do attempt to get out to each school, but, you know, Barry and I work uh, day jobs. This is kind of a side thing for us. Uh, he's got two daughters in college. I have two high school students and in my household. So, you know, things are pretty busy. But what we kind of do is we, a lot of times on Sunday, we'll kind of just get together or, you know, talk over the phone or text or whatever, and we just try and plan out the week. As far as uh, which game, we kind of look at the schedule and like, which game do you think is going to be, you know, the big game this weekend? And then, quite frankly, a lot of it turns out what what happens on a given Saturday. 
you know, what, what turns out to be the best game might end up being the, our lead one. But we do something on each of the schools and we really try and balance that coverage equally. Yeah. So when we're taping this, we're now, we're just uh, two weeks basically into uh, the, the regular season. You know, the Valley, uh, they had a really good day yesterday. They went seven and two. There was a FBS upset when, when South Dakota went in and, and beat Bowling Green. So, you know, what are your early impressions of the Missouri Valley Football Conference right now? And especially, you know, the teams in the Illinois area, you know, like Western, Illinois State, SIU. You know, it's funny, almost to a person, everybody I've talked to, you know, recently equates the Missouri Valley Football Conference to the SEC at the FBS level. And I I think that's a very fair analogy. I mean, they've been dominant and it's not just North Dakota State. I mean, you look at at top to bottom, there's real strength there. But specifically, you mentioned the Illinois schools. You know, I think Illinois State has the best shot at uh, making the playoffs um, their schedule, though, is pretty heavy at the end. So I think early on, they're going to need to really rack up the victories. I think Western has an excellent shot as well. The biggest uh, roadblock in their path is they only play four home games. I mean, uh, they start with three on the road, and that's the first time that's happened since 1935. Uh, Southern, you know, Nick Hill's really building something down there. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, the biggest obstacle there is they're in the Missouri Valley Conference. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think that does help them, though, because you're going to get more teams from the Missouri Valley into the playoffs than other teams. Yeah. So I'm not saying Southern's a playoff team this year, but I think in the near future, they're going to make a run at it. You know, how have you seen the Valley change since you you and uh, Barry decided to start your blog? You know, uh, North Dakota is going to come in in a few years. I mean, they're a team that has been a traditional power and, and ranked. Uh, I just feel like it keeps getting stronger and stronger. It seems like um, the schools are upgrading their facilities or attempting to do so. I think their recruiting bases are getting wider. There's probably more exposure than ever nationally with FCS. So I just think that growth is going to continue. Yeah. You know, Dan, um, you know, I think it's important to to point out, you know, you live in Illinois, um, I, you know, I spent a number of years in Illinois and, and obviously recently moved from there, but there is a lot of ongoing budget issues um, that specifically not only affect, you know, education and, and, you know, the level you're teaching, but specifically the state universities. Um, and it, it trickles down to the athletic departments as a result. And I, you know, we haven't necessarily seen it affect in a big way yet. Um, the football programs, you know, at SIU, Illinois State or, or Western Illinois, but at some point, you know, if this this budget thing doesn't have a better solution, um, you know, and doesn't doesn't get out of the mess it's in, it's going to have an effect on those three programs. Um, and so, what do you feel like besides actually winning? How does an Illinois State? How does a Western Illinois? How does an SIU? you know, stay in the thick of the Valley race, be one of the top tier Valley teams, while maybe being at at a disadvantage at some point here from an economic standpoint? That's a really good question. And, you know, the, that, that runs so deeply in so many ways, you know, it's very difficult. It's um, an obstacle that the schools in the Valley outside of Illinois, you know, aren't necessarily facing. Uh, I think you're just going to have to, you know, work 
even harder. Um, you're going to need some breaks along the way. I think Illinois State does have an advantage in that, you know, some of the industry and some of the insurance companies and things that they have in the area. Plus, it's just population-wise the biggest area. I think that helps them. I think, you know, each one of these schools is looking for any revenue stream they can grab. Um, I think that's we're having a positive attitude like a Nick Hill and, you know, trying to get the support of, again, not just Carbondale, but the entire Southern Illinois region behind you really, really helps. You know, it's it's difficult. I, I wish I had a better answer, but it's it's difficult on all levels. And it's it's really disappointing to me too, also seeing some of these universities have to face questions about not just what athletic programs they may have to drop, but academic programs. You know, it's it's sad. I, I you know, I, I teach eighth graders, but I'm in contact with a lot of kids that, you know, going to high school and beyond. And so many of the kids when I say, Hey, where are you going to college? It's out of the state of Illinois just because there's so much upheaval and as a lifelong resident in Illinois, that, that makes me sad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you know, you, you've touched on it in this interview. You know, you're, you're a middle school teacher. Um, you have a family. You have high school age kids. So tell me about your, your day-to-day life, uh, your family, you know, and then how, how you work the blog and, and the books into that equation. Well, I'm usually the first one up in our house, so I'll a lot of times do work before anybody else is out of bed. Um, you know, but once once the day's up and going, I mean, we hit the ground running. You know, the kids are off to school, my wife and I are off to work, and then after school, it's you know, does my daughter have a volleyball game? Does my son have baseball going on? And then, uh, like right before we did this interview, my daughter came in. Hey, will you help me study for this test I have tomorrow? <laughs> sure. So. You know, you just, you find time. You really do. And, you know, my kids are my pride and joy. Um, I do a lot of late night writing, a lot of early morning writing. I also have the advantage of being a teacher. I have time in the summer. I mean, that's yeah, really yeah. where I get a lot of uh, things done for my books. Yeah. Well, tell us where can people find, you know, and I do want to show it too, uh, the Southern Illinois Salukis football book. Um, and then also the, the ISU football book that, that came out last year. Where can people find those? Where can they buy them? Well, I'm going to say uh, the Illinois State book was put out by Northern Illinois, Illinois, excuse me, Northern Illinois University Press, um, who published my previous uh, two books. So they can contact there. Um, the SIU book was done through SIU Press. So those are good starting points. But you'd find them in the traditional places, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, they're going to be in the bookstores on campus. Um, I'm actually going to come down for homecoming at SIU when Illinois State, ironically, happens to oh, be great. the opponent. Um, so I'm hoping to do some sort of a, a book event, a signing, a, a talk, whatever, on campus. So that details of that are still being worked out. Yeah. But any of the traditional places you'd find books. So how would you best sum up for people, you know, that this is maybe the first time that they're hearing about these books? You know, how would you best su- uh, sum up what what they're all about, you know, and, you know, what the, the hope was in putting them together and writing them. Well, first of all, both my uh, publishers just did a magnificent job of putting those books together. Um, you, you held them up just a few moments ago. They both kind of resemble a, a college yearbook, as I guess uh, how I would describe them. You know, they're kind of a nice coffee table type item, but um, they're full of great stories. Uh, they have tons of photos. There's vintage photos in there. There's recent photos. The SIU book has a lot of color photos. Um, there's photos that we had to dig very deeply for. There's one going all the way back to like, I think 1916 when SIU was playing. 
So I think anybody who's interested in these books, uh, if you could just you know give them a, a flip through if you see them in the bookstore, and I think you'll you'll really be pleased in what you see. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you feel like is important to add, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about the books? You know, one thing that I really enjoyed, a lot of people say, hey, wasn't it cool to talk to this guy that played in the NFL or that guy who played here or whatever? And while it was, and I, I'm certainly appreciative of anybody who gave me time, I really enjoyed talking to a lot of the older guys who had a really interesting perspective. I mean, they've seen the evolution and the growth of the game. Um, they've seen the way that things changed. But maybe for them, their career ended, you know, with the final game of college. And they went on to be successful in education or business or the military or the ministry or whatever. And I think those are the stories that really, for me personally, I really enjoy the most because it's like, hey, these four years that I played were great, but that wasn't the end of my life. That was, you know, on to the next chapter. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting you say that. Um, and I don't remember exactly which players um, they were off the top of my head, but, um, you know, in reading both books, frankly, you know, there was an, a number of examples of guys that that probably could have gone on and played at the next level and and did not, whether it was, um, you know, they settled down right, you know, they'd gotten married and had two kids and they needed to go out and, and make a living um, or maybe they were injured uh, in a training camp or, you know, in their senior season and they obviously didn't have the the medical equipment and the technology that they do now um, as far as, you know, with injury recoveries. And so, you know, if you tore, I guess back then they wouldn't have even called it an ACL tear, but if you, if you injured your knee, it pretty much spelled the end of your career. Whereas now you're recovering for a, a six month to a year period and rehabbing. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I know we've been talking about the Valley and so forth, but a name that comes to mind to me is a guy that played at Eastern right after World War II, um, a guy who was named Lou Stivers, who I was fortunate enough to interview. Um, Lou passed away a couple of years ago, but he told me a really fascinating story. The team he was on was a lot of them were World War II veterans who used the GI Bill to come back to school. But he, as you mentioned, a lot of these guys were married and so forth. But at the end of college, he had an offer to go play or at least try out for the uh, Detroit Lions. And he kind of molded over with his wife. And when they compared the salaries, he just felt like, hey, I want to be a teacher and a coach and I'm going to go ahead and get my career started. The money, you know, wasn't that far off. And, you know, gosh, how things have changed now. So that was just a, a really interesting and fascinating story for me. Yeah. And especially, you know, I think if you are a current player, it would be especially interesting for you to go and, and read these books um, or a current coach because, you know, you, you talk about in some of them, I mean, they took trains to games. It's it's a much different scenario, just the, the elements they were dealing with uh, just to, to play games. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, some of these older guys played more than one sport. Um, you know, uh, Marion Rushing, I'll bring up, for example, kind of an SIU uh, legend from Pink Pinckneyville. You know, he, I think, holds the record for the most letters earned in SIU history. Yeah, for, for sports, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on today on the podcast. And uh, it was it was fantastic to read your books. And so I encourage people to, to go out there and, 
and get both of them. Um, you know, whether or not you're a, a big history buff, you will find these uh, very interesting um, because they're, like I mentioned in the beginning of the interview, there's a lot of storytelling involved and, and good little nuggets. So thank you for coming on today. Kelly, thanks so much for having me. And I, I hope things really work out for, for you and your husband with your house in Florida. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, we're hoping for the best. We're just uh, trying to stay positive. You know, it's kind of out of our control. So that's all you can do, right? That's all we can do. Well, if you like what you heard from Dan Verdon and our MVFC First and Gold podcast, take a moment and subscribe. Lineupmedia.fm also is home to many other podcasts, shows like Performance Nation, Two Birds on a Bat, and Chasing Pucks with Panger are just some of the options. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Bird, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.